Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday and happy Father's Day. You know, what's interesting is last night, Jody and I were at Luke and Reagan's wedding reception, and we were talking to some of our friends about this message on Father's Day and how it seems that on Father's Day that the message might either challenge fathers or it might hammer on them, one or the other. And maybe rightly so. Maybe there's some justification to fathers getting bashed a little bit. We see fathers out there who disown their families. They betray their relationships, their spouses. They sort of jettison their responsibilities of being a leader in their churches and their families and their communities. But I have to tell you, I look around here at Northfield and I see some of these young fathers who are coming of age and I am impressed. I mean, they are involved with their families. They're present with their spouses. They're leaders in their community. They're sitting on boards of directors, making decisions. They're here in our church. They're teaching Sunday school. They're giving messages. They're leading Bible studies. They have accountability groups. I wish I could do a do-over. I wish that when I was their age that I'd be doing what they're doing with their children and their spouses. I am impressed. I think we have a lot to be thankful for. And these young fathers, they want to become better. They want to grow in, in the spirit, and they want to be better husbands and better fathers, and they want to be better soldiers of the Lord. In fact, it reminds me of a story of three fathers who wanted to become better, so they signed up for a weekend wilderness retreat for fathers only. And just to make this story a little bit more fun and interesting, I'm going to give these three fathers a name. I'm going to call them Dale and Vic and Matt. Now, if you know a Dale, Vic, and Matt, you're welcome to imagine those three in this story. I'll leave that up to you. But Dale, Vic, and Matt sign up for this weekend retreat for fathers only. And the first night is going great. They're sitting around the campfire they're roasting marshmallows and hot dogs, and they're talking about the crazy things they did as kids and in high school and the football games and all that, and they're laughing and bonding. And the facilitator of this weekend retreat, he's leading them through a deep dive and reflection into three different topics. The first topic is strength, and it's about becoming stronger in the Lord, especially when you need to step up and step in and you need to make decisions and you're not a coward. You're not like Gideon whose fear overtook his faith. That as a father, you step in, even though you're going to get some blowback from the world, even though the world's not going to think it's popular, you're going to make the right decision through a biblical lens. The second topic was the topic of tools, using God's tools that he gives us every day in his word. And there are hundreds of tools that all of us can use. The tool of prayer, the tool of being a peacemaker, the tool of forgiveness, the tool of walking in humility, hundreds of tools. And then the third topic was about intelligence. Being more studious in the word, Memorizing scripture and imprinting that on your heart and in your head. Reading out of the stories and the accounts of the Bible 
and looking at them at different angles so you can use the insights you gain from those stories that are here for different things you encounter in your life. So the first night went great. They all went to sleep. Dale, Vic, and Matt, they woke up earlier than any of the other fathers that next morning. And so they decided to go on this walk, this little hike before breakfast. So they went on this hike, and they're talking to each other, reflecting on these three topics of strength, of tools, and of intelligence. And all of a sudden, this path opens up to this huge river, and it's a wide river, and the current is a fast-paced current. And Dale turns to Vic and Matt, and he says, hey, I got an idea. Let's have a contest. Let's see who can get across this river in the fastest time. And Vic and Matt are like, okay, yeah, we're in. So Dale said, I'll go first. So he steps up to the bank of that river, and before he jumps in, he says a little prayer. He prays, Lord, give me the strength to cross this river. And poof, all of a sudden, Dale felt this energy and vitality in his muscles that he had never felt before. He felt like Samson. He dove into that river and he swam as hard as he could across the other side and 40 minutes later he's on the other side. This is a wide river. And then here comes Vic. Vic gets up to the bank of that river and he says a prayer. He prays, Lord, give me the tools to cross this river. And poof, out of the corner of Vic's eye, he thinks he sees a little rowboat behind some bushes. And sure enough, he goes over and there's a rowboat right there. He gets in that rowboat, rows across that river, and 20 minutes later, he's across that river. Half the time, it took Dale with all of his strength. And then comes Matt. And Matt gets up to the bank of that river, and before he dives in, he whispers a little prayer. He whispers, Lord, Give me the intelligence to cross this river. And poof, God turned him into a woman. <laughs> and he, he walked just a few feet down the bank and he crossed the bridge. It took him less than five minutes. Now, obviously that story is not true. But we can learn some insight into... The lessons that our Heavenly Father teaches us, and today I want to turn our hearts and our minds, our focus more on our Heavenly Father on this Father's Day than our earthly Father. And this message is really more for me. The Lord has been teaching me lots of lessons throughout my life. It seems like I've been in this classroom of his for a long time. Like, it's the longest high school semester class I've ever taken. And I think he looks at me and he says, you're a slow learner. Because he's teaching me these lessons over and over. There's a lot of homework to do. I have some pop quizzes. There's some tests. I'm always working on projects he's given me. But he keeps teaching me and... And he's patient with me like all great teachers are. I think he thinks, I don't care if it takes me five lessons to teach you this or 5,000. I'm going to love you and I'm going to be patient with you because you're a masterpiece. I created you. And I forget that. See, he's been teaching me, and probably you, that his love is unconditional. That he keeps his promises. He is faithful 
that he's wanting you to know that your worth is not in this world. Your worth and your value is in him. He wants to remind you that he who is in you is greater than him who's in the world. And for me, he's teaching me that there's a purpose in my life. That's why he put me on this earth. That's why he created us. But there are things that get between me and his purpose in my life, and I call those giants. Because those giants, I don't want to fight them. I don't want to confront them. I want to avoid them. I run, want, to run, want to run away. And I, I think one of the most important lessons God's been teaching me throughout my life, and he's still teaching me, is that it's time to stop running. And he's teaching me that running is poor for my health. And I'm not talking about physically running, because you're probably looking at me and my body thinking, you stopped running a long time ago. We can tell. And I have. You'd be right. I hate running physically. I'm talking about running away from things that we should be confronting in our lives. It's easy in life to avoid the things that we should be dealing with. We run away from them. Let me give you some examples in my life. I run away from fear. Like when I need to make peace with someone, when maybe I've done wrong to them or they've done wrong to me and I need to make peace with them and reconcile with them, sometimes I run from that. I don't know how they're going to take it. I don't know what their reaction is going to be. Sometimes I run from my bad attitude. I don't want to deal with it. Sometimes I run from a bad habit I need to break. There are people out there who in their entire lives run from the call of God on their lives. They'll run away from it. Some people run away from their insecurities like Gideon. Those insecurities that they're not enough. In their mind and in their hearts they say, I'm not smart enough to do this. I'm not talented enough to do this. I'm not cute enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not tall enough, I'm not whatever, I'm not enough. That's an insecurity. But instead of confronting these things, we oftentimes as humans comfort them. And we comfort them through excuses. When you know in your heart you need to give, get peace in peace with someone. You know in your heart you need to break that habit. You know in your heart, you can feel the call of God on your heart. Instead of confronting it, we shrink back and we comfort it. As long as we keep running, we're going to miss the purpose of God in our lives. As long as we keep running, we're going to miss the greatness of God showing up and showing out in our lives. I think of that old story in the book of 1 Samuel about David and Goliath. You know, I think of David, I think, he was a man just like me. He probably had the same emotions, the same feelings. I would imagine that when they were camped on those two mountains and looking at that valley, and here was that giant, Goliath, and the Bible calls him the champion of the Philistines. The Bible says that his spear, that his spear was the size of a beam, a beam. He was huge. And I can imagine that David thought, we got to get out of here. 
I'm going to run like the rest of the army. We better hightail it out of here because this guy is going to cream us. He's huge. But the Bible doesn't say that. The scriptures in 1 Samuel says David ran quickly toward the giant. I wonder if David knew in the depth of his heart that if he did not face it, if he didn't confront the giant, that he would miss the purpose that God had on his life. When I and you run toward our giants, we actually allow God to make things happen that we didn't think could happen. I'm learning that when I do what I can, God does what I can't. When I do the natural, God does the supernatural. Don't take the easy way out, spending your life running, running from your past, running from who you were, running from your mistakes. God's teaching me through these lessons of a father that it's time to stop running. Like David, when God sees you make a move, that's when his strength, his tools, his intelligence come in. Sometimes we like to hide. That's what Gideon was doing in Judges 6. Gideon was hiding in a wine press. When an angel came to him and said, Gideon, you're going to lead the Israelites in battle because you are a mighty man of valor, of fearless courage. I think down deep, Gideon knew that. I think he knew the call of God on his life. But Gideon started to give excuses. He said, I am the weakest, the least of my family, and my family is the least of all the clans. He started to give those excuses, insecurities. That's what you do. That's what I do. Gideon was at a decision point. Was he going to keep running? Was he going to comfort those things, or was he going to confront those things? Don't run from the things that are hard and uncomfortable. Don't shrink back and comfort those things. Gideon stopped running. He faced his fears. He confronted his insecurities, and he became one of the heroes of faith. You know, we all face these times like Gideon where we have to make a decision. Are we going to shrink back? Are we going to comfort this thing? Or am I going to confront this thing? Am I going to bury this hurt because somebody hurt me too bad? Am I going to deal with the bitterness and resentfulness on my heart? Am I going to step forward with the dream God's put on my head and my heart to go into the mission field, to go into the ministry, whatever it might be? Or am I going to hide from it like Gideon? The problem with running is that whatever we need to confront doesn't go away. Ignoring it doesn't mean it's going to disappear. Time won't make it go away. Excuses won't make it better. These become toxins in our life. And there is nothing more than the enemy would want than for you to keep running. It's much better to face the giants now. When you take a step forward toward your giant, God's going to step in and help you. The strength, the tools, the intelligence. The Bible says he steps in and he makes our crooked places straight. The reason that some of us think it's going to be too hard is because we haven't stepped into the grace yet. 
It will come when we make a move. God goes before us. He prepares people's hearts that maybe we need to talk to. He prepares our hearts to forgive. Here's the key. God will never ask you to do a hard thing without giving you the grace to do it. I have learned that the only way on the other side of those giants is through them. I can't go around them. I can't dismiss them. I can't sweep them under the rug. Time won't make them disappear. I have to confront them and conquer it. Now, in my own strength and in your own strength, you may not be able to break the bad habit. You may not be able to reconcile with someone you need to reconcile with and become at peace with them, but you're not on your own. He is with you. Remember, God steps in and he already gives you the victory that he has promised. We can learn that because God led the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt in the book of Exodus. He parted the Red Sea. He took them toward the promised land. They were camped next door, the Israelites. God had already promised them the victory. All they had to do is step in. But the people living there were much bigger. They had more equipment. They had more experience. They had more expertise. The Israelites basically told Moses, we can't go in there. Instead of stepping in, they stepped back. Instead of running toward their giants, they ran away. They spent 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert, running. Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God, putting on the armor of God. It talks about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, all these awesome tools to protect us. But what's interesting is there's nothing for our backside. There's nothing to protect our rears. That's because God did not create us to run away. God created us to go forward and to conquer. Forty years later, the children of the Israelites were back at the promised land. What's significant is that the giants weren't gone. God didn't clear out a path and have them just walk in the land and take it. They still had the opposition of the giants. But the children of the Israelites, they had a different attitude. They saw the opposition. They saw the giants. But they knew that greater was he that was in them than he that was in the world coming at them. And they went in and they took the land that their parents could have had 40 years ago. God already promised the victory to them. And he does that for us. We just have to step in. Part of this equation I'm learning is that I have to get honest with myself, and so do you. It's easy to put things off and to ignore things and to blame others and to give excuses. To step forward into our purpose that God has placed us here, we have to get honest with ourselves. The psalmist said this, God, keep me from lying to myself. That's a powerful prayer. We don't want to pray that. We don't want to get honest with ourselves. We want to hide things like Gideon. We don't want to deal with things that are uncomfortable. But it's much better to be open and honest in front of God and ask him to change the things in your life, in my life. Not the things your spouse needs to change. Because Jody, I've got 30 things on my list I want her to change. 
And she's got 130 on her list that she wants me to change. It's not my kids. They don't need to change. It's me. It's not my coworker, not my boss, not my supervisor, not my teacher. It's me. Where do I need to change? Where do I need to come up higher? I am learning through these lessons in my life that when I live in a place of humility and I'm willing to deal with the things God brings to light and I'm willing to be honest with who I am, there's no limit to the giants that I can go through and conquer. It's tempting to make excuses. I've always held grudges. That's just who I am. I've always had a bad attitude. I've always held, uh, had a temper. That's just part of pers my personality. I've always been critical of others. My parents are like that. I learned that from them. No, you're running. You're not confronting. You're comforting. That's what happened to Jacob. In Genesis chapter 25, you remember the story of Jacob and Esau? Jacob was lying to himself. Jacob lived a life of compromise. He was a cheater, a conniver. He was a liar. He was a manipulator. He cheated his brother Esau out of his birthright. You remember the story? Here's Jacob and Esau, and in their mother's womb, God told them through an angel that there's two nations in your womb. The greater will serve serve the, the weaker, and the first will serve the last. And Esau was born first, and here's Jacob holding on to his heel as he, they come out of the womb. Esau went out hunting, and he came back. He was starving, and Jacob had cooked this stew. And Esau could smell the aroma of this stew. And when he came in, he's like, I need some of that stew. And Jacob, the manipulator, took advantage of his brother Esau not thinking correctly, and he said, I'll give it to you if you sell me your birthright. The birthright in those days, they were very valuable. And the firstborn son got a double of the inheritance. Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a pot of stew. Years later, when their father Isaac called Esau in to give him the blessing, there's uh, Jacob. The manipulator. Isaac was nearly blind. He couldn't see. So Jacob dressed up like Esau, put his clothes on, put his shoes on. He put his cologne on. And he came in. He said, Dad, here I am. I'm ready for my blessing. And Isaac was a little skeptical. He said, is this Jacob or is this Esau? And he lied. Jacob lied. He said, it's me, Dad. It's Esau. And Isaac said, come closer. I want to I feel your arms. You see, Esau was really hairy, kind of like Matt Miller. No, I'm just kidding, Matt. I, but he was hairy. I had to do that. He was hairy. And so Jacob felt his, uh, Isaac felt Jacob's arms, and he thought, well, I guess, I guess this is Esau. And he gave Jacob his blessing. When Esau found out, he was so angry that Jacob had to flee for his life. He started running. He lived in an exile. You remember he worked for his uncle Laban. What's interesting is his, his uncle Laban was dishonest with Jacob. He promised Jacob one daughter for marriage, but when the wedding day came, he switched it. Be careful what you sow, because what you sow is going to come back to you. 20 years later, 
Jacob got tired of running. He decided to go back home. He wanted to make peace. What's significant is that the only way he could get back home was through the city of Edom. That's where Esau lived. What you run away from now, you'll always have to go back and deal with eventually. It'll always be between you and God's purpose in your life. The only way out is through. We can ignore it, we can push it down, but it doesn't mean it's going to go away. It's still going to be between you and your purpose that God has for you. Directly in Jacob's path was Esau. Jacob sent word to his brother Esau. He said, I want to make things right. We've been at odds for too long. And as they were traveling down the road, Jacob saw Esau and all of his men coming toward him. You can imagine the apprehension that Jacob had. Was his brother Esau going to still be angry? Was this going to be time for revenge? Was this going to be a big fight that broke out? The Bible says that when Esau got closer, he started running toward Jacob. Jacob was expecting the worst. He bowed down in front of Esau, I think the scripture says seven times. But instead of fighting with Jacob, Esau grabbed him, hugged him. After all Jacob had done to Esau, he never dreamed that one day he'd be hugging his brother affectionately. But you know, when you stop running, when you confront the things you should instead of comforting them, when you deal with things you know you need to deal with, when you get honest with yourself, you're open and honest with God, and you take a step forward, that grace is there. That strength, the tools, the intelligence. Like Jacob, we've all made mistakes. Don't wonder 20 years like Jacob did. That night before this big encounter between Jacob and Esau, Jacob went to the brook to be alone. It was a time for reflection, reflecting back on his life. And no doubt, I, was, I'm, I, I think he was probably reflecting, thinking about everything he had done to Esau. All the hurt that he had caused. But he didn't want to be like that anymore. He didn't like who he had become. An angel appeared in the form of a man, and they began to wrestle. And they wrestled all night long until daybreak. And Jacob must have known that something significant was happening because here's what he said to the angel, I'm not leaving until you bless me. And the angel asked him this question, which I thought was an odd question. Do you remember what it was? He asked him, what is your name? Why would he ask Jacob, what is your name? He knew what his name was, the angel did. What's interesting is that's the same question that his father Isaac asked him, who are you? I can imagine the debate going on in Jacob's head. Just lie to him. Just tell him you're Esau like you did your father. Just keep on pretending. Keep on being dishonest. Keep lying to yourself and others. Jacob thought about it. He said, no, I'm not living like this anymore. I'm not living a compromising life, making decisions I'm not proud of. He said to the angel, I am Jacob. His name means trickster, conniver, manipulator, cheater, liar. That's what his name means. Jacob was admitting, I'm, I don't have integrity. I deceive people. 
I lie to people. He got honest with himself. He stopped running. You know what the angel didn't say? Oh, it's about time. It's about time you got honest with yourself. Angel didn't say that. When Jacob admitted who he was, God immediately changed his name to Israel, which means prince with God. The principle is that when we get honest with ourselves and we don't make excuses, that's when God changes things. And when you go to God, he doesn't condemn you. He doesn't say, it's about time. He's going to help you rise out of what's holding you down, what's keeping you between you and his purpose for your life. Jacob never dreamed he'd be called the prince with God. I don't think he ever dreamed he'd be living in peace with his brother Esau. I don't think he dreamed to be able to go back to his hometown and live there without the consequences of stuff he did in the past. And finally, sometimes we run away in life when we're not getting our way. We run when we're not getting the credit we think is due to us. We run when people don't see the talents we think they should see. We run when our supervisor isn't fair to us. We run when we have a difficult time with our spouse. But you can't run every time it gets uncomfortable. Some people run from their marriage. Some people run from their job. Some people run from their church. They leave churches. And I'm not saying there's not time that we have to move on, but don't have a running mentality. Every time you don't get your way, you run. And I'm not talking about living in abuse. I'm not talking about that in an abusive relationship. But I'm talking about in those times like Hagar. We learn from Hagar and how she ran. In Genesis 16, Hagar ran because life became uncomfortable for her. Hagar was the maid that Abraham had a baby with out of wedlock. It was Abraham's wife, Sarah, who had the big idea. But Sarah became so jealous and so upset that she started making Hagar's life miserable. In verse 6, it reads, Sarah treated her harshly, so Hagar ran away. She, she basically said, I don't have to put up with this. I'm out of here. And she ran away into the wilderness. An angel showed up and asked Hagar, Hagar, what are you doing out here? Hagar said, I'm running away. What's interesting is the angel didn't say, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, you shouldn't be treated like that. I don't blame you. Nobody blame you. You know what the angel said? The angel said, go back to Sarah and submit to her authority. Anything you run from, you'll eventually have to go back and deal with. I don't care if you're 10 years old or if you're 90. You'll have to go back. But remember, God won't put you somewhere and not give you the grace to be there, the strength, the tools, the intelligence. The angel went on to say to Hagar, if you go back and serve Sarah, God will give you more descendants than you can count. When you stop running, and I stop running, and confront what we are instead comforting, and get honest with ourselves, there is a blessing that follows. God will show up and show out in your life and my life. That's the lessons I'm learning from my Heavenly Father as I think about this on this Father's Day. So 
Don't let another year go by as you're running in the wilderness like Hagar, putting off what you know you need to confront. Don't spend 20 years running like Jacob, lying to yourself. Don't spend 40 years like the Israelites, missing that God already has given you the victory over what you need to confront. Don't hide like Gideon, where your fear overtakes your faith. Be like David. Run quickly toward the giant. God will be there to make our crooked path straight. Let's pray. Lord, on this Father's Day, we thank you for bringing us together. We thank you for your word, which teaches us so much, so many lessons in life. Help us, Lord, to be honest with ourselves. Help us to remember that your promises are true, that these giants in our life, these things that we need to confront and deal with, that your strength, the tools that you have for us available, and the intelligence will be there. Your grace will be there to make our crooked paths straight. So thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, for giving us life everlasting, and for walking with us in this life. It is in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.